You guys, have a seat. But listen, I just decided he's going to do my funeral because no one will say that many nice things about me. Come on. You know, you should decide that in your late 60s, who's going to do your funeral. So, You people mean the world to me. And I, I walked around and, and, I, and I met Dan and Phyllis back here in the back and they heard Pastor Paul preach at Cape Christian when we were launching the vision. And we're so grateful for that church and their love and support. And, you know, I preached too long anyway, so I won't go on and on. But I came in just to hug these kids that are in my life. And so I, I see Janine and, and, and Gary, and I find out we have three more kids. Come on, give it up. This family's unbelievable, unbelievable. And Aaliyah introduced me to everyone, and they went and got Avea. And then, of course, I saw Paul's four kids, and I just, man, I saw Ella and, and Aaliyah and Odessa, and then, and then, and then I, just, I, just, I just fall apart inside because I remember uh, that little boy was born <laughs> right when they were moving here. So I have so much gratefulness in my heart uh, for you people and so much blessing to give up on you today. So I ask God to give me a new message. Aren't you glad you're not going to get an old one? Come on. And you know, come on, give it up for that. Give it up for that. God is so awesome. I did. I said, Lord, I can't go down there and just preach something I've done before or rework something. Please give me a fresh word. And I, I bounced this off my pastor, and, I, and, and he said, Robin, God has given you a special phrase. Now, I, I'm kind of known for some of my phrases, okay? Some of you guys know them. One of them's everybody's got something big going on. Come on, say that with me. Everybody's got something big going on. I found out last week that I have 90% blockage in my carotid artery. Come on, smile at me. You know what my doctor said? Just go ahead and preach. You haven't died yet. Come on. He said, we'll get this done next week when you come back. That's awesome. So God's given me certain catchphrases, and I want you to hear this. In 1987, God allowed me to plant a church in Phoenix, Arizona with six people. And I, I met with 90 people, but all of my charisma only rubbed off on six. Come on, people. <laughs> and then we started in a middle school after making, listen to me, 23,000 phone calls with those six people and a handful of friends over a six-week period of time. We simply invited people that didn't have a church to show up. And we did this at Pueblo Middle School. Now, you know God is powerful when you can start a church in a school with the initials PMS. Come on, people. <laughs> give, me, give me some energy today. And yet, we had three, I'll never forget that Sunday, 305 people showed up. Unbelievable. 305, come on, yeah, God's awesome. And so I, I, I drove into this town today, and I saw the golf side signs. And I remember we were in a school for 10 and a half years, and that first Sunday, 13 people came to Christ, and it never stopped. Now, I was ready to give up, because I preached with, with 305 people, but after I preached, we were down to 150. Come on, people. But here's the deal. God brought people into my life to encourage me when I was ready to quit. And we kept moving forward. We never thought we would get land. You don't know how happy I am today. Ten years later, a man who heard me speak one time in year two helped us to get our 15 acres and to celebrate your 14 acres today. Come on, celebrate. And it's paid off. Listen, 
it, I just had so many memories. Now, when I was ready to quit in year four, and this is not to drop a name, but I want to share his story. Rick Warren came into my life. I was ready to give up. And he looked at me and he said, Robin, what did you average that first year? I said, 189 people. We can't break the 200 barrier. I go, Rick, you know, I heard you guys broke 500 right away. Guess what he said to me? Those are all lies. He goes, Robin, we average 188. You're one ahead. That's what he said to me. He said, everybody talks about the Sunday we had Debbie Boone singing, You Light Up My Life. Come on, it's the number one song in America. He said, that was for Easter, and we had 500 people. He said, don't worry, when Debbie left, so did the people. Come on. And he encouraged me to stay faithful. I'm here to tell you that. And then in 2002, so I'm going to see who's old like me and remembers these four words. Rick Warren wrote The Purpose Driven Life in 2000. You're nodding your head. And he began that book with four words. Do you remember? I'm not going to put you on the spot, though you're nodding your head. Does anybody want to take a shot at those four words? Here's what they are. I'll say them, then you can say them after me. It's not about you. That's how he started that book. It has now sold over 60 million copies. It is the most inspirational book read by people. It's listed as the number two most inspirational book. Guess what number one is? That's right, the Bible. Come on. If you can be number two, be number two. Come on. It is the Bible. You people are smart. But this week, let me tell you what God gave me when I asked for a new message. He led me to a few passages that I love to read, led me to John chapter 5, which is my story in the Bible about the man by the pool for 38 years. I hadn't been set free from great damage in my personal family and my family of origin. And I read that passage that he laid by that pool for 38 years. And I backed up a chapter to chapter 4. The woman at the well. And here's, what, here's the phrase God gave me. It's all about you. Oh, did you get the twist there? Rick wrote, now I'm not here to challenge him. He's the best pastor I know. When he wrote, it's not about you, of course he was pointing us to say that God has everything happen in our lives for his glory. That's awesome. But then I read through most of the four Gospels the last two weeks. And guess what God showed me? Read the main book, and Jesus will reveal to you that it's all about you. Now let me give you the text today. I'm only going to read one verse. I could read the whole story, but I'm going to tell you the story. But listen to how this starts. Now Jesus had to go through Samaria. You ready? Jesus don't had to do nothing. Come on, people. That's bad English and unbelievable theology. Jesus don't had to do nothing. He had to go through Samaria. You know what? Jewish people didn't go through Samaria. Jewish people never talked to Samaritans. And there's only one reason you can deduct from this passage. He had to go through Samaria because it was all about that woman at the well. 
And Jesus had to come by golf side today because it's all about you. Would you say that phrase with me? It's all about you. Say it one more time with some energy. It's all about you. He stopped by the pool for a man laying for 38 years. And when I was 38 years, he came beside me and made it all about setting me free. And you can read through 36 individual stories in the New Testament where Jesus made it all about Zacchaeus. He made it all about that little 12-year-old girl, Jairus' daughter. And on his way to raise her from what looked like death, and it was, he met the woman who had been bleeding for 12 years. And he took time for her because it's all about you. It's all about he came for you. And this moves me in my spirit. Because when he went to the well that day, let me tell you the story. This woman had gone at noon. Now, no one ever goes at noon because it's way too hot. And, and so the only people that go at noon go because they don't want to talk to anybody else. So this woman, this broken woman, shows up at the well. And Jesus had to go at noon because he always shows up to deliver us from our shame. And he begins to talk to her. Now, he was going from Judea back down to Galilee. There are many other acceptable routes for a Jewish man. He had his disciples with him, but he had sent them into town to buy food because he had to have this one-on-one encounter. And he looked at this woman, and they began to talk. And she said, why are you talking to me? She knew, why are you talking to me? Men don't talk to women. (laughs) Jewish people don't talk to Samaritans. And he said, well, could you give me a drink? And, and she said, you have nothing to, to get a drink with. And then he says, if you knew who you were talking to, you would know I could give you living water, and you'd never thirst again. Now, you've got to catch this. This is why we have to be good students of the Bible. She is coming to get water because that's her job. That's her identity. She's been reduced to just doing a task every day. This is her identity. And Jesus is there to reveal a new identity. You'd ask me for living water. And she goes, please tell me, how can you do this? And she says, tell me more. And then I love this. Come on, enjoy it with me because we love Jesus talking about someone else's sin. Go get your husband. Come on, laugh. We enjoy this because we're talking about her. When he says, she goes, I have no husband. He goes, you're right. You've had five and the one you're with is not your husband. Now, come on, we enjoy that, don't we? Because that's her sin. You know, if you knew the sin in my life, you wouldn't listen to me. Come on, laugh. If I knew the sin in your life, I wouldn't even talk to you. Come on, quit looking so righteous out there. You guys are hard to preach to. He reveals the deepest shame in her life. Not to shame her, but to deliver her. What could Jesus say? In fact, you're probably thinking it right now. I am. All the way here, I thought of all the shameful things that would just put me in my place. 
And all the way here, Jesus kept saying, Robin, I've delivered you from that. I've delivered you from that shame. So she says, now by the way, I love it. When Jesus says, you've had five husbands, and the one you're with is not your husband, she says, oh, I can see that you're a prophet. Oh, that's quite a response. By the way, I go golfing with people, and, and, or play tennis with people. I said, please don't tell them I'm a pastor. I don't want them to know I'm a pastor. And so, you know, and of course today is filled with all kinds of colorful language. And then someone always blows it and says, oh, I forgot to tell you, Robin's a pastor. And for the last four holes, you hear about every spiritual person in their family. Come on. <laughs> and the language changes immediately. And I'm thinking, oh, don't do this. Just go. It, but we, we say very spiritual things when we're putting on a show. By the way, be weary of people who say over-the-board spiritual things and are humble about their own story that Jesus has delivered them from. And so she says, I can see you're a prophet. And then she starts saying, well, I know when, when Messiah comes, we'll worship, yada, yada, yada. She goes into this, you know, someone always says to me after they find out I'm a pastor, yeah, my cousin's uh, grandfather's uncle was a pastor, whatever, whatever, crazy. But we act spiritual when we're the most lost. And then he says, I am who you're talking about. This is just a magical moment when Jesus reveals that it's all about you and I am Messiah. And she received it. In fact, the next phrase says, she left her water jar. I like the King James, she left her pot. Come on, get off your pot. She left her identity. Do you get that? When you meet the Savior, he had to go to meet this woman because it's all about her being set free. She left her identity and went back and told everyone she knew, you need to meet a man who I believe could be the Messiah who set me free. See, this is the power of the gospel. And in every story, when Jesus walks by that sycamore tree, Zacchaeus, he's up in that tree. He's up a tree. Come on, we're up a tree. And he calls him by name. By the way, did you ever read that passage and realize that? No one told him who he was. Jesus knew who he was. Jesus knew what he had to do for this woman that day. Jesus knew his name and said, Zacchaeus, I'm going to your home today. Which then, after that, all the Pharisees say, see, if you went to a sinner's house, you were identifying with sin in their minds. But he had to set Zacchaeus free. And if you read that passage, there's a magical phrase that says, Jesus declares salvation has come to this house when he, like the woman at the well, said, I will pay back four times what I've stolen. See, Jesus saw radical change in his life and declared that he understood who he was. And Jesus does this. Look at me, people. He does this in his ministry up until the final moment on the cross when there are two lost people, one on each side, 
and one mocks him and curses him. And the other says, please remember me today. Look at me, people, and say it with me. He turned to the man and said, today, you'll be with me in paradise. Say it's all about you. Say it. It's all about you. He made it all about the one who is moments away from eternal lostness. And he said, today is your day. Whew. 2016, it was February and March. And I did my first full assessment on your pastor. Come on, people. I gave him every personality inventory I could give. I gave him a leadership style. I took his spiritual gifts. I asked him to tell me his story. I asked him to tell me his call. And we sat together for two months. He, look at me. I'm not trying to lift him up today. He assessed higher than anyone I had ever assessed. He was an intuitive thinker on the Myers-Briggs. He was a ENTJ, borderline E and I. Look at me, people. I've taught this for 38 years. He was a half of 1% of the population. So when you're mad at him, just say, he's odd. Come on. He's awesome. And my pastor had his identical profile at Union Chapel and had stayed for almost 37, 36 years and built from 30 people to almost 2,000. And I remember going through this assessment. And then, but listen to me, in that third month we were meeting. Now, by the way, it's hard to coach people that are a half of 1% because they're smarter than us. Come on, it's hard. It's just hard. I'm 1%. I'm an NF, but don't worry. He let me know that was way below him. Come on. And then, Paul, I hope you remember. I know you'll remember this moment. I didn't ask his permission to share this today. I said, you haven't told me about the pain in your life. And he talked about the brokenness with his father. He talked about the brokenness in his family. He began to cry. NTs don't cry, by the way. Come on. He began to cry. And I began to cry. And then he talked about being set free by Jesus and being healed. And this was this magical, like, 33 minutes. And we were weeping. And the Holy Spirit revealed something that I don't often do. I don't often give a word. And the Holy Spirit said, tell Pastor Paul right now, today you became a church planter. I remember looking in his eyes, and he said, I receive it. He had already known that he had been called to come to Florida. And that day I said, you became a church planter because he talked about his brokenness. And then he said, I have to go to my home state. Like the woman, of the, I had to go tell everybody in my family and in my sphere of influence in Florida who this Jesus is. Come on, somebody give it up today. That, that's the day he said, it's all about you in Cape Coral. 
And I will never forget that day. I will never forget that day because he made it all about you. And then the Holy Spirit told him to go a year early. Think of this, without support, without, I mean, we were behind him at Union Chapel, but to come down for his wife to get a job, to move four kids, they were having their fourth little boy, Anthony, unbelievable. It was all about that. And, and guess what we said? Because we're, we're mature, we're great leaders. You shouldn't leave a year early. Don't, don't do that. You should stay with us. You can have comfort here. And guess what he said? It's all about you. And that's why God has blessed Golfside. Because when we understand how we've been set free, when we understand how Jesus has healed our pain, we want to spend the rest of our life telling wherever God leads us, everybody we meet, it's all about you. Now, I don't mean that self-centered wise. And that day on the cross, Jesus let one man know, today's your day. Today's your day. I I was taught preaching by a man named Fred Craddock. You may wonder why I'm not using an overhead today. Because I asked Fred Craddock, should I learn to do an overhead and fill in the blanks? He goes, yeah, if you're not any good, use an overhead. That's what he said. He said, if you're going to preach and they can't understand what you're saying or remember what you're saying, then use an overhead. Now, I'm not putting down overheads. I actually don't use overheads now because I can't see anymore. I have blurry eyesight, so I couldn't even fill in the blanks anyway. But I never forget, Fred Craddock's one of the great preachers of all time from Emory University. He wrote a book on preaching that said, please see what's in the text and reveal it. He had to go to Samaria. Reveal it, and no one will ever forget. Now, he poured his life out into preachers. He taught all these years, and then once a year, he was around people all the time. Once a year, when he needed to get away from people, he'd go to the Smoky Mountains, okay? Isn't that great? And he said, he said listen, I have two lines. If I want to talk to people and they ask me what I do, I tell them I'm a professor. Come on, that's impressive. People want to talk to a professor. He goes, if I'm tired of people and I need to be away and I don't want to talk to them, I tell them I'm a Baptist preacher. That works all the time. So he said, we went down to Smoky Mountains. It was our little getaway, me and my wife. We don't want to talk to people. We avoided people the whole time, We first couple days. And one night at the restaurant in this uh, Blackberry Inn, he said, we're at our table. And a man walked up and he said, well, you're new down in this area. What do you do? So he said, I didn't want to talk to him. So I told him, I'm a Baptist preacher. To which he took a chair, pulled it up, trapped us in our booth and said, then you need a good story. (laughs) And that man sat down and began to tell his story when he was in his childhood. Back in these Smoky Mountains, back in these hills, it was a shameful time for me. I was born out of wedlock. They had a name for my mother. They had a name for me. And I heard it every day. So when I went to school, I was always in shame. And I was always afraid someone else was going to say, who's your daddy? I didn't know my daddy. So I didn't play with the kids. I didn't eat lunch with the kids at school. I ate by myself. I played by myself. I left school as soon as I could. I walked home by myself. 
And in those shameful days, in my early teen years, I saw an A-frame church back in these Smoky Mountains. And one Sunday, after church had started, I walked up to the back door and slipped in to the back pew. Remember those long wooden pews we used to have? And he said, I snuck in. The preacher was a big man with a beard and Prince Albert coat and this warm voice, booming voice, but powerful voice, compassionate, this loving voice. And I was mesmerized when he spoke. He would speak every Sunday, and I would leave early because I didn't want someone to say, who are you? Who's your daddy? Where do you come from? So I would leave early. But one Sunday, the message was so compelling about God's grace that I got caught up in it. And I didn't notice that people had moved in on both sides of my pew, and I had tears coming down my face. And all of a sudden, I realized I couldn't get out, and the service ended. And he said, I I broke into a cold sweat. I thought, oh, please don't anyone talk to me. And when I was about ready to turn around and I thought I could get away, I felt a big hand on my shoulder, and it was that preacher with that Prince Albert coat. And I turned and I looked at him, and I couldn't believe what he said. He said, I almost fainted. He said, boy, boy, who's your daddy? He said what I couldn't, I've dreaded my whole life. He said, I almost began to weep. I had tears in my eyes. And he said, he said son, son, no, look, look at me, son. It, it's quite clear. Why, the resemblance is, it's, 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 per, it's unbelievable. Son, you're, you're the son. You're the son of God. You're one of his children. You resemble Jesus. And he smacked me on my rear end and said, don't ever forget who you are in Christ. Go claim your inheritance. And the man pushed his chair back and started to get up from the table. And Fred Craddock said, sir, what is your name? He goes, my name is Ben Hooper. And then he left. And Fred said, I turned to my wife and said, when I was a little boy, My daddy told me that an illegitimate child by the name of Ben Hooper became the governor of Tennessee consecutive terms and changed this state for God. Come on, somebody give it up. It's all about you. Say it with me. It's all about you. Jesus had to come in his spirit today, because you're here. And even if you know Jesus, we still carry a lot of shame. I wish that weren't true. On the way down here, he released me again from the shame of my past. And he asked me to leave that identity and claim this new identity. Would you bow your heads with me? I want you to whisper one more phrase. Say to Jesus, Make it about me today, Jesus. It's all about me. I need set free. I want you to whisper that. It's about me. I need set free. Just whisper that. 
in your mind, in your heart. God, I ask that your spirit, you had to come by today just for each one of us. Would you make it so personal now to set us free from our shame, from our past? Help us to leave our water jar, whatever that is, leave our former identity of shame and pain. And just like I said to Paul that day, today you became who God made you to be, a church planter. Would you whisper to everyone in this room, today, claim your inheritance in Christ, that you're a new creation. The old is passing away and the new is coming. God, I pray that you will do this in a powerful way. If you whispered those words and feel his release, would you just slip your hand up real quick so I can just say a prayer. I'm not going to come in embarrassed. Amen, amen. God has moved. I feel his spirit all over this place. Just read. This is a sign that you have a fresh, new anointing from Jesus. Awesome. God, thank you that you do what only you do. And it's all about you. Now we get to go and tell everyone in our family, meet the one who set me free. And that woman went to her hometown and they all heard and they believed. They came out to hear Jesus for themselves and they became followers. God, send us, send us out in your name. We pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. God bless you people, man. God's blessing upon you. I love you. Give God praise. Amen.